0: Were to declare that I'm in His image, that means I am beautiful, and then I looked up wonderfully me, and I was surprised to see it not only means wonderful, but it also means unique, that there's no one else like me. And so when God designed me, and that's kind of what the Psalm one thirty nine thirteen is talking about, that He knit you together in your mother's womb, like every stitch. Right. You just think of a knitted sweater. The time I was living in China, and every train I took, all the women were knitting sweaters. Everybody, that was like the culture back then, not so much now. And, you know, they just pay attention to every little stitch or else yeah. the sweater's going to look wrong. Yeah. And so I thought, wow, okay, God, so you paid attention because I really thought he wasn't paying attention when I got to that week in my mother's womb. And So when I began to see that God himself says that he thoughtfully made me unique from anyone and that I reflect his beauty, uh, that I could accept that. And I immediately, in Jesus' name, spiritual warfare prayers, in Jesus' name, I reject all those lies that Satan, I realize, really is the enemy. Speaking these things, demons just continuing to speak that into my mind until it became habitual.
1: Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God. How could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark guest, Sue Coral is the founder and executive director at Crown of Beauty International. Her childhood and young adult years were very difficult. She was born with a facial birth defect, and from birth to 15 years of age, most of those formative years were spent living with all the complications, both physical and mental, of back-to-back corrective surgeries. But talking with Sue, listening to her life, hearing about her ministry, her husband and her family... God has not wasted a single moment of pain and suffering, and neither has Sue, because in her pursuit to rewrite the lies that she believed about herself, she has agreed with God on everything that he has to say about her and the way that he loves her, hence Crown of Beauty International. It's her passion to lead women to find freedom from the defeating lies that they think and feel and live out in our personal lives. Sue travels all around the world and walks through every door that God opens for her, and she points the hearts of women to God's truth and his deep love for them. Sue is amazing. You're going to love this conversation. And I just want to let you know that that thing that was supposed to keep your mouth shut or the thing that has you feeling guilt and shame, give it to God. Trust him with it, and he'll transform it into an adventure that you would have never thought to ask for, nor could you have imagined. Sue and I talked about so many things, but a few of those that stuck out to me were as we were talking about how reading God's word, the Bible, how it transforms us through the work of the Holy Spirit, and not just from a spiritual aspect. She talked about when the word is built upon and it begins to transform us little by little, it also affects our posture, the way we walk, how we talk to people the way we show up in places and roles and responsibilities. And it reminded me of this, and I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes when you're talking to someone, you can see joy in their eyes or a light in a person's eyes. And without fail, every time that I dig a little deeper in conversation with them, sometimes just asking point blank, are you a Christian? Or a different faith-based question. I find out that they are indeed Christians. I mean, makes complete sense to me. We are filled with the light of the world. Because of Sue's international travel, she talked about how our negative self-image and negative internal dialogue is seen all around the world, even including men, because they've started a separate program for men. So hearing that, I asked her, what is the common denominator? And of course, you can always trace it back to the one who steals, kills and destroys us from the inside out. So that's our enemy. But she does go in to develop that answer uh, a little bit more. And it's just just very interesting. Ultimately, we we believe varying degrees of lies about ourselves. Anytime we believe a lie and it goes unchecked, it's not going to be in our favor. We're not going to farewell uh, the fallout of that or the results of that. And it can start out as a good thing. But at some point, it has the potential to tip into a lie. We can start out confident, but then end up prideful. We can start out being kind and caring, but then we end up being a doormat. So I had to ask her this question. How do we keep our life in balance? And Sue's response, by consistently exposing our way of thinking to God's truths, Challenge the triggers in our life by allowing God to speak into those places. In doing so, He'll expose the lies for us. And the best part is, He downloads His truth so that if we choose, we can rewrite what we thought was truth with the real thing God's truth and His love. I saw a quote from Billy Graham and it said, Most of all, let the Word of God fill you and renew your mind every day. When your minds are on Christ, Satan has little room to maneuver. And check this out. If you've been listening to several of my past podcast episodes on the healing ministry, here's something that Sue shared that lined right up with how God made us mind, body, soul, spirit. It's all meshed together. Sue has been studying the brain and unforgiveness. So she's been reading medical materials, et cetera. And she shares that through medical science, she's discovered that unforgiveness is now considered a disease because it has the same impact on your body as a disease. So of course, that reminds me of the Bible verse, Proverbs 14, 30. And I looked up the NLT version, the New Living Translation version, and it says, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy, and in my opinion, that's a form of unforgiveness, is like cancer, a disease, right, to the bones. And let me wrap up with this and then we'll get started. Our transformation from bondage, and I don't care what area or form of bondage you're in, but going from bondage to freedom, it's gonna require our participation and active engagement, not only pursuing God for truth, but putting it to work in our life. So taking part in our transformation has to do with interrupting negative thoughts or beliefs by using God's promises and his truths to rewrite the lies we believe. And Sue says it takes intentional work to create new neuropathways that change our brain and therefore change the course of our life. God is inviting us to discover him in the healing process, and he's created our body to be successful at overcoming the obstacles of this life. So let's listen in and see how and where we can find God meeting us in our pain with solutions, transformation, and redemption. Sue, I am happy to have you here today to share the mission of your heart, and that is to bind up the brokenhearted with God's truth, allowing them to live in freedom here, now, not waiting until we get to heaven to enjoy that. freedom. Amen. So welcome. Thank
0: be- you, Sherry. Great to be
1: here. Before we jump into the fullness of your international mission and ministry, let's talk about how personal this is to you and share a little bit about your journey. Because at birth, you were found to have a cleft palate, which, I, if I understand correctly, is a birth defect. And this means that you had no nose, no upper lip or palate. Uh, can you share a little Correct. bit about this condition? Get, because my knowledge of it really is has to do with Operation Smile because Operation Smile is based here. And so I always think of it in a third world context. So tell us a little bit about your story.
0: Yeah, well, a lot of people have cleft palates. In my case, I was born quite a long time ago when they were just developing skin grafting, actually, through the very doctor where I was born. And so when I popped out of the womb, it was kind of a shocker for him because there was no nose, no upper lip, no palate, breathing issues, heart issues. Uh, so they could not figure out how to feed me. And so after three weeks, I was dying, basically. And so they told my mom to take me home to die to be with the family. Well, not coincidentally, right, we know we don't we know that coincidences aren't Really, a real thing, right? God knows what he's doing. He's in control. So, my mother was a nurse at that hospital, pediatric nurse, and she was actually caring for so many cleft palates because they were being flown in from all over the country because this doctor was the number one doctor for that. Well, when I came out, you know, of course he wanted to help my mom, but and me, but he's like, I don't know what to do for her, and he consulted with other couple other top doctors they even flew in and they're like no we can't this is too much missing and so mom took me home not to die but god you know really spoke to her that i was a gift for uh, my mom from the lord and that he was going to take care of me and so sure enough he gave her wisdom how to figure out at home to throw together one of my brother's toys, some things from the hospital, whatever. And she made a giant mask over my face that I was able to uh, suck the milk that she had been pumping and freezing. And so her milk out of this little nipple bottle thing that she created with this mask. So after three months, I got enough strength to go back. To the hospital and she insisted that the doctor operate and she's like you know your babies wouldn't even live if not for my parents like yeah you're right. right okay so he agreed and I survived so that was awesome but it was still a long journey I had 26 major operations plus some other little ones during the first 15 years of my life so from zero to three I pretty much lived at the hospital And then 3 to 15, I would go in every summer. But the hardest thing was when I went to school, which was starting age 5. And I was just teased incessantly every day, particularly by boys. I'm very extroverted, so the girls were okay with me, but the boys were not okay. I even had a teacher that wouldn't let me read out loud because she said, you sound funny. So that was a hard jury having speech impediment all along and now I'm a public speaker and a worship leader and it's pretty cool so God can do miracles you know because as I got into my adult life or young adult life even teenage years I was very successful in athletics and God used that to give me a lot of confidence and to build my leadership so I had a life goal to be An Olympic player, I was. I did become a U.S. player of lacrosse by 19. But interesting, Sarah. It's like you reach your dream, right? And it felt empty. You know, I'm I'm traveling internationally, and I'm like, okay, this was my purpose in life, and it's empty. And God spoke to me at that point, and He just said, "Because I am your purpose in life." Mm-hmm. And you need to turn your life to me because I had more or less walked away in college. So I did wholeheartedly gave my life back to the Lord, started a fellowship of Christian athletes at my university. Our fellowship grew. We shared with 600 students. It was a wonderful time, Sherry. And then I went on a summer mission trip to the Philippines. And from that, it's like, I'm hooked. I want to be a missionary. So I graduated and I joined Campus Crusade for Christ. But my goal was to go to China, but we weren't going yet. You know, the the doors had literally just barely opened. And so I started in Hawaii to get used to Asian culture and working with college kids. And that was, that was wonderful. But why I share all that is because as I got into, I would say, 27 or so in those beginning later 20s, I discovered that. I was really struggling sometimes to be kind to the guys on my team, to the male students. I was so generous, so sweet to all the girls. Our women's ministry boomed, you know, over 200 women. And our guys were growing gradually, but they were kind of struggling along. And I won't say that I didn't care. Why did I care? I cared about the numbers when it had to do with them, not about them. Whereas the women, I cared about
1: them. Do you think that is because of the way boys had treated you at a younger age? Are yes, they still treating you 100%. that way? Okay. And so, no, yeah.
0: they were wonderful. But what happened is that when we believe lies about ourselves, which I did, I was believing the lie that I was told over and over and over. That I'm ugly, that I'm rejectable. They call me, you know, freak, uh, circus clown, pug nose, you know, all those things. So I really came to believe that this is how men saw me. Mm -hmm. And even though I had a few crushes, a few guys interested, I was scared to have that intimate or close relationship. So I'd always be in control. And Mm -hmm. when I was leading the ministry, I was very intense with the guys. It was like, "Well, how are you today? Are you having your quiet time? How are you doing with God?" You know, where's the women, I'm like, "How are you, sweetie? You're struggling. It's okay. Let's talk about. It. Let me help you through that. We, I can bring you into that closer place with God." You know, so I definitely recognize that I have a problem. <laughs> On top of it, my father left us when I was 11 for another woman, and as a child. You don't think he left mom. You think he left me. Right. And of course, I put the two and two together. Yeah. And it's like, he left me because I'm ugly. Mm -hmm. You know, that, and it's true. He never said I was beautiful. He always said he loved me. He's good at that. But he would acknowledge beautiful women along the street, but not me. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of drove that in even more. Mm -hmm. So that's really, Sherry, why I was treating these men with. Such intimidation would be the best word to use. But I didn't want that. So I started to seek help. I got some counseling, got some healing about my my dad. And that helped a lot. I also, as I was preparing to finally go to China when I was 31, before that I went through overseas international training and had some inner healing intervention which was the first for me. And that went all the way back to my birth, which was uh-huh. super intense.
1: When you're talking about that inner healing, was that like a deliverance ministry, a prayer ministry, emotion code? A
0: prayer ministry, a I ministry. would say. But they were really trained to let the Holy Spirit guide you to wherever you went, wherever you wanted to guide you. And memories came back. And then, you know, where is God and all this? And letting the Lord walk me through those times in his presence in his comfort Mm -hmm. in his truth right so that was huge
1: that's a powerful transformation when god can show you those revelations or give you those revelations about where he was what he was doing where he's going so i i can relate to that through that type of ministry healing that i've received too so Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: when you feel his presence wow it it really softens the pain you know it doesn't take away the pain completely as you know but you experience the love in the midst of that god's grace in the midst of that even sometimes perspective the why sometimes not sometimes we know
1: yeah i get what you're saying mine was a layer Over many years, several years, many years Mm -hmm. of peeling away a layer of abandonment until finally Mm -hmm. in the apostolic prayer ministry, God gave me a vision of where he was beside me with his hand on my back. So first that vision of his presence and his intimacy broke it off of me for the final time. And so I did not have any more fear associated with that or pain. Uh, But, you know, there's other areas still in my life that when I'm triggered, I'm okay, I have some work I need to do. But Emotion Code was another one that I've recently tried. And that's been very, it lifts off a weight. I don't know how to explain it, except that I feel lighter, more free and more peaceful in my spirit, in my body even. So, Mm -hmm. When you mentioned that, I wanted to discover a little bit about what your experience was because it's exciting.
0: Yeah, I agree with you about layers. (laughs) We're on a journey. And, you know, I expect I'll just keep learning and he'll keep peeling layers. But what I did discover in my 30s, I was reading the word and I came to Psalm 139, as I'd read many times. I love that psalm. And, you know, you get one through verse one to 12 is awesome. Like wherever you go, he's there. You rise up, he's there. You sit down, he's there. He knows your thoughts. He's hems you in, he's protecting you. It's all wonderful. And then you get to 13 and 14, right? I knit you together in your mother's womb. And then David declares, I praise you because I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. So I read that and suddenly I'm like, I don't believe that. And I'm like, wait! I can't not believe this is the word of God. I think in my earlier twenties, I could, I was, you know, I was younger in my faith, and I'd read a scripture and go, "Well, that doesn't apply to me." By the time I got to my 30s, and I've been doing full-time Christian work for 10 years, and I'm I'm living in Asia for Pete's sake, and I'm seeing all kinds of healing and miracles, and all these things happen around me, and and Here I am saying, I don't believe that. And I said, God, I I that's not an option. I can't not believe that, but I don't feel that. And there's a difference, right? Between what we believe in our head, what we, if you want to say, believe in our heart or feel. Mm -hmm. And so I said, Lord, help me to believe the truth because I realized intellectually that I was believing a lie, that I'm rejectable, I'm lovable and ugly and so i began to dig into the scripture by then I already knew to go back to the original languages and so i i went back to my handy dandy blue bible.org and found the hebrew and i discovered that fearfully meant that i am a reflection of the image of god <laughs> that, that, that it means like the awesomeness, the fearfulness of God in a good way, you know, that he's so awesome, but he's made me that way because I am from Genesis 1, 26, we see that I'm creating the image of God. And I thought, well, gosh, God, you're beautiful. So that's what you're saying. You're lovable. You know, you're you're amazing. And so that means I am, too. You're acceptable. You're beyond acceptable. So what you're saying, when when David said, I'm fearfully me, and that's what we're to say, we're to declare that I'm in his image, that means I am beautiful. And then I looked up wonderfully me. And I was surprised to see it not only means wonderful, but it also means unique, that there's no one else like me. And so when God designed me, and that's kind of what the Psalm 139.13 is talking about that he knit you together in your mother's womb, like every stitch, right? Mm-hmm. You just think of a knitted sweater. The time I was living in China, every train I took, all the women were knitting sweaters. Everybody, that was like the culture back then, not so much now. And, you know, they just pay attention to every little stitch or else yeah. the sweater is going to look wrong. And so I thought, wow, okay, God, so you paid attention. Because I really thought he wasn't paying attention when I got to that week in my mother's womb. And so when I began to see that God himself says that he thoughtfully made me unique from anyone and that I reflect his beauty, uh, that I could accept that. And I immediately, in Jesus' name, spiritual warfare prayers in jesus name i reject all those lies that satan i realized really is the enemy speaking these things demons just continuing to speak that into my mind until it became habitual so that every time i would see a guy up went the wall it was shortly after that that i was able to get married you know because i i i had dated many guys but when it came down to it There was still that wall, but now the wall went down and I could really see myself the way that God sees me. So in that, I also realized that, okay, there might be a young kid for me, even an eight year old would say, oh, you're not pretty. You know, I would crumble. But I knew now that I could immediately turn to my bridegroom, that Mm -hmm. I'm his perfect, beautiful bride and that he. Would he would help me to really see myself as he does, as this beautiful bride of Christ.
1: Mm.
0: So that's how I started my ministry.
1: A powerful purpose behind that ministry. You make a really good point between what we believe and then what we actually live. Because like you, read the word, believe the word, it's God's word. God's proven himself faithful in many areas, so I believe his promises, but then I don't necessarily make a connection with them on a personal level. And I I imagine there's a couple of different ways to make it personal to yourself, whether it's you engage God's heart in a certain way with questions and transparency and authenticity. They're reading the word and and a supernatural revelation is coming over you with regard to what god is really saying
0: that's really a combination of we intrinsically from birth or from the womb really Mm conception, we already are creating an image of god so there's that side of it but then there's the other side too in which the holy spirit works in our life and he begins to transform us right and romans 12 too right that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind through the word of god but also the holy spirit is um, changing us every day it talks about how we're being changed transformed from day to day into the glory of god Mm -hmm. it's in corinthians so it's it's helping me to see that He's doing a work in me every single day, right? That's from inwardly out. And when you change inwardly, it impacts your outward, mm-hmm. right? When you are when you begin to embrace the beautiful heart that you have, the beautiful spirit that you have that God gives you, then that will impact your facial features, your your posture, your, you know, the way that you choose to dress, mm-hmm. uh, the way that you, the confidence of your stance and your walk. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it, so it even changes you outwardly, I think, physically. So there is an inner, outer beauty.
1: What a wonderful yeah. point to make. That just gives more credence to reading your Bible, engaging the Holy Spirit and uh, transforming the mind, which therefore transform mm-hmm. the body. The more we find out about who God is, the more We understand who we are and we walk, begin to walk in that, even if it's little by little. So that's encouraging for that daily walk with the Lord, that daily engaging his heart.
0: One thing that we do in our ministry, Crown of Beauty International, which is a ministry I started in 2005 and did in Asia in house churches all over. And now we have it around the world. And now I live in the U.S. (laughs) But What I found is helpful is I made up this whole list, not very fun, but of lies that we tend to believe about ourselves. And there's about 30, 35. And sometimes people add to them, right? They think of other things that they heard growing up. And so I have the ladies look through that list and underline any that they at times are tempted to think about themselves. And then they think through. When did that start, and what was going on in my life at that time? And are there any behaviors that I took on, possibly to protect myself because of that, so I wouldn't have to feel like, let's say it's I felt invisible, right? So maybe I became a total loner because then I could I'm in control, and I can tell myself I'm not invisible. I just choose this. But actually, deep down, they really feel that self-rejection that they felt because their parents were never there for them or whatever it was. And after they see that, then we have a whole bunch of prayers that they can use and they're just replacing the lie. Lord Jesus, I, I admit that I have believed that I am in my case, ugly, rejectable, and unlovable. But I reject that lie in Jesus name. And I accept the truth that I am beautiful. I'm the bride of Christ that I'm chosen, that I'm acceptable to you. And we have this whole teaching on our identity in Christ, right? So they've already heard that, that I am valuable, that I'm honored, that I'm precious in your sight, that I'm an ambassador, that, you know, a holy priest, all these things and all these scriptures in Jesus name. And we see women every country I go, Sherry. I, the change in people, they're all in different languages and different cultures, and it doesn't matter. We translate all this into their language. And every person struggles mm-hmm. with the same things wherever you go. Every mm-hmm. person has had, like, abandonment, like you said, or been rejected, or, you know, gone through a trauma. And so they all relate to
1: this. I was thinking, what do you think the common denominator is, if there is even one? Because you hear, like you're saying, women from every walk of life, from supermodels to mothers who are eyebrow deep and toddlers day in and day out feeling less than. Is that a just a typical struggle for women? And if so, I mean, what do women need to know in order to find this place of rest in their mind, their heart, their bodies? I love the fact that they can break agreement and then take on a truth, do you think that's the, the hinge of moving from one into the other?
0: You you really asked two questions. So I, okay. at first I want to say we do this for men too. We oh, call nice. it more than conquerors okay. <laughs> based on Romans 8, 37. They also suffer these things. They're just more hesitant in especially American culture yes. to own up to their struggle, right? But in some of the cultures we go to, now, they're crying. They're, they're fine. It just depends where you go. So I think it's common to mankind. What is it caused from? Well, really, the devil. Hey, you really want to talk about it. He's the father of lies. He's called that in the Bible. He was rejected by God, sent out by God of heaven, kicked out. And he's here. And sadly, he's temporarily the ruler of this earth. And he is absolutely determined to get every person he can from not having eternal life where they'll give glory to God. Every person he can, even Christians who would have eternal life to not worship God because that's what he wanted, right? He wanted to be worshipped, and that's why God kicked him out. So now he's just trying to get all of us to either be distracted from worshiping God because we're so busy or whatever, money or whatever, or to totally reject God or ignore God or hate ourselves. And that's all we can think about. He's called the destroyer of life. Even where we'll get so depressed, we would even go to suicide, where we would destroy our marriages, where, you know, it goes on and on. So what is that? That's sin, right? He tempts us to sin. And I used to call it, Protective behaviors. Now I just say, hey guys, it's sinful behaviors because when I don't trust God for the ways that I'm behaving, when I choose by myself to say, I'm going to do things this way to protect myself, that's actually sin because I'm not really trusting God to do it his way to protect my heart. I'm becoming my own God, really. I'm controlling and ruling my life. And so, though we don't like that word, (laughs) but it's what it is. And understandable, understandable that we would take on these protective behaviors. I don't say that in a mean, judging way at all. Mm. At all. I'm saying that's our nature. And God has made us in some ways to be smart (laughs) so that we won't keep getting hurt. But there's a time where He'll come and say, okay, that was. What you needed to do as a child, because you didn't know me, but now you have a chance to know me through the word, through fellowship, through communion with me, through the working of the Holy Spirit, and now you can trust me with that. And you don't need to protect your heart anymore, because I am the lover, the satisfier soul, and your protector. So that's when it becomes sin, right? When God reveals it to us and says, You're not being God dependent and I want you to be. So give up that protective behavior and let me lead your life.
1: Hmm. I want to come back to this Satan undermining our relationship with God, but you're speaking of that self-protection. And I think that is very prevalent, or at least for me, it has been over the years as my, I mature in my relationship with God. I'm quicker to recognize these things, but anytime I revert into a self-protection mode where I think I have the answers or I can figure it out or from abandonment issues, say back in the day, uh, I would go into control mode where you mentioned earlier about I'm going to be safe when in fact you're not really safe. But because now you have this opportunity to define it how you want to define it and see it how you want to see it because you're controlling that situation. But yet all of the self-protection methods that I have ever used has done nothing but lead me down the path to disappointment and sin and even worse than before. Do you think that fear is the root of control that we want to have?
0: Yeah, I would say, I would say, and I mean, pride too, but I think pride is probably secondary as well, but you know, that, that pride I can do this. I can control my, I can take care of this. I don't, I don't need anybody else. I can do this, you know. And sometimes we say, I don't need anybody else's because we don't want to be let down. <laughs> so, you know, we don't, we don't want somebody to uh, fail us. But a, 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 another birth came to mind is, is, is John 10 10, right? Where he says, I came that you might have life and might have it abundantly. And when I looked up that word abundant, It actually meant extraordinary, (laughs) extraordinary. I came so that you might have an extraordinary life. And that is amazing. But because when we, it's what you just said, Sherry, if we try to do it in our own strength or in our own ways, our own wisdom, we will have an ordinary at best life. But when we do it according to his plan, and his ways, We have an extraordinary life. Mm -hmm. So when I was Susie Athlete, you know, and getting the appraisal of of people, that was a good life. I enjoyed it. It was fun, but then it kind of started to ring empty sometimes, you know. And the praises of men will eventually run empty. When I turn my life 100% to Jesus to just say God. I'm yours. Personally, I like being a slave of Christ. (laughs) My favorite metaphor of God to person is master servant or master slave, because it means he'll run the show. He'll take care of me. Not like the old horrible stories of what we've done in slavery. But what God meant is I'm going to be your perfect caretaker, provider. Lover, friend, you know, shepherd. Those are all the metaphors he gives us. And when you follow that, when you trust me, then you will live an extraordinary life. And that's why I motivated Sherry to keep peeling the onions when the Holy Spirit shows that it's not fun sometimes. It's not. And it can even be scary, it can be very humbling. Mm. You know what I'm saying? When, and so we do talk about triggers triggers are we call red flags right when okay. when you find yourself overreacting to your kids for example right we all do that yeah. <laughs> but oh. when they frustrate you and 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 you don't just scold them and you're not just like frustrated that's normal that's that's what your your brain's made to do you know be exhausted from that but but it's when you why are you doing that I told you not to do that you know or you slap them too hard or or you slam a door, whatever it is, you know, you use intimidation, you scare them, mm. and you have to go back and and look at that. That's a red flag. Why did I react that strongly? Mm. What's going on there? And it, it probably is that I feel out of control. Well, why why is that not okay? Because God's in control. That's the healing word, by the way. That's the truth. God's in control. Okay okay, I don't have to be in control here. But where's that coming from? And I can tell you, honestly, Sherry, the sti- I to statistically say like 95% of the time just because I've done these talks to well over 10,000 women. And I see that it always goes back to childhood. The exception, on a rare occasion, you'll meet a woman who truly was raised in a beautiful childhood with lots of affirmation, godly parents. And then she marries this Christian guy who ends up being abusive. That woman can be shattered. And some of you are probably listening, and I'm really sorry. It's very real. That pain's very real. And and it shatters our identity. So that would be the exception. Because majority of us, it it does go back to something in childhood. And it could be as simple as you had a best friend, this happened to my daughter, actually, had a best friend who just one day, a new kid came to school, and she just ditched my daughter, you know, and just latched onto her. And that created such a deep pain that went all the way into her young adulthood until she could identify that, the walls that she was putting up, the fear that would come up in building friendships with women. And as God began to reveal what happened to her, remind her of that through the spirit, she asked, okay, what lies came out of that? Because that's what you ask yourself, what lies and what behaviors? And the lies that came out were, I'm not good enough, basically. That to some people I am, I will not be good enough and it will destroy me. And what we can see from that is that we are absolutely good enough, and some people are going to be mean, but we can run to Jesus. He'll show us what to do. He'll comfort us through it, and it doesn't have to destroy us.
1: Yeah, because it's a very real experience to have someone reject you or abandon you or belittle mm-hmm. you, uh, and it's very internally destructive. But yet God can interrupt those belief patterns and give his truth in that situation, which then rewrites the brokenness of this world and turns it into the light of his truth. And I think that's really where the power, well, it is the power that makes for transformation in our life. And I want to back up just a little bit to we were talking about where Satan comes in and undermines our relationship with God. And so to me, that lends itself to the conversation about identity. With so much identity confusion today, what do you think Mm -hmm. Satan's plan is? What do you think his reason is to steal our identity and confuse us about identity?
0: Well, he certainly doesn't want us to claim the identity of who we are in Christ because that brings honor and glory to God. So however he can mess that up, He will. I don't think there's one way or there's not one way that's worse than the other. The bottom line is, again, he just does not want us to bring glory to God. And whenever we don't know and understand and walk in the truth of who we are in Christ, then we're not bringing that wonderful glory to God.
1: Satan is extremely happy to kill us on the inside so that we never live a full life on the outside. He would prefer that he destroy us there, not necessarily kill us physically, but just kill us emotionally.
0: Well, even physically in the sense of leading us down a path where we end up eating ourselves to death. You know what I mean? Ending up yeah. with diabetes or or where we become so depressed that we want to take our life or where we take drugs to help that. Or, you know, there's a lot of things that we do that, that destroy us. Sometimes I I can't really say this like oh I could I think he, Satan doesn't care about us, right? He doesn't care about us. We're not issue. What he's angry at is God. <laughs> and so he's just going at us because we're children of God. Mm. So think about it. What's what would be the greatest weapon against you? You're a mom, right? Right. So what's the greatest weapon against us moms if anything happens to our kids?
1: Exactly. Right.
0: right? Hold up a gun. Shoot me. Don't kill my kid. Absolutely. I know I would do that in a heartbeat. So what's the greatest weapon that Satan can take against God? His kids. Right. He's going to go after his kids because, you know, the heart of God adores us. Absolutely loves and adores us, and Satan hates that because he was not adored. Once he became full of pride. And-,
1: and I wonder if Satan makes more recognition with the fact that we are made in God's image than we do, because we bear His image. He wants to destroy us as well, because Satan cannot stand That's true. Good point. The image of of the glorious Father yeah, that we pursue. Yeah.
0: That's true. But we talk about this. Oh, did Satan make me do it all? You know, no. It's like he's there. He's the liar. He's throwing the lies out there. He's throwing the temptations. But we have a choice. We have a Holy Spirit. Every single Christian has the Holy Spirit within them, but they need to um, call on the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of the Holy Spirit, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, as He becomes our our source to really be able to have the courage to walk away from these behaviors to uh repent to confess. For example, one of the biggies that causes strongholds in our life is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. And oh, here's an interesting fact. I've been learning a lot about the brain. I've been studying a lot about that, and it's very interesting all that, how that relates to all this. Um, but they actually have through sciences they medical sciences they discovered what goes on in the brain with unforgiveness okay they have discovered that they now categorize it as a disease really <laughs> because it has the same impact on you as a disease i found that really fascinating that is
1: very fascinating
0: and right and man i believe it because one of the things we definitely talk about in our conference is the the destructiveness of unforgiveness. That we don't forgive because it's our only way to retaliate, right? Often, especially, either you don't know the person anymore, you don't see the person, or they died, or whatever, or you can't go shoot them because you'll go to prison, <laughs> you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. So it's our one way to retaliate. But the crazy thing is, it's not really hurting them, but it continues to hurt us yeah. because that unforgiveness turns into bitterness. That bitterness eats at us. Like even physiologically, it causes other diseases. Mm-hmm. God really, really wants us to forgive. But the lie of the enemy is they don't deserve that. You shouldn't do that. You should be that way. You should be bitter them. The enemy's not telling us that do it, do it, but because then it's gonna eat at your body and and cause depression and cause all these other physiological difficulties. No, doesn't tell us that part, right? But still, I say all this to say, I can't say Satan made me do it. Again, I have a choice. I have a choice. I can say, okay, God, your word says unforgiveness is wrong, bitterness is wrong, that Christ, you make it very clear that. Just as you have forgiven me, I'm to forgive others. It and I always put it like this I'm not saying I forgive you, it's okay. No, (laughs) I'm saying I release you to the Lord God Almighty, who is the judge and the only one who judges is to judge, the only one who gives life and death, the only one who judges. And I trust you, God, that you will deal with this perpetrator or with this person who hurt me and we release them to God. And that brings such healing and freedom to our own souls.
1: If we can just rest in the fact and believe and live it, that God is in control, there is such peace and rest in that. Not that you disengage your mind and you don't take an active role in your life, because no, that's not that's not the case. But when it comes down to making hard decisions, finding your way through things, trying to underthink, understand situations, people in your life, God gives you insight and instruction. And so it is just a beautiful place to be if we can just keep him in control. I think,
0: it's always good to ask the Lord, is there anything in my life that is really keeping me from being all that you want me to be, all that I can be, from living out my God-given potential? Mm-hmm. I don't like to dwell too much like Satan, Satan, you know, all that stuff. But okay. we do need to realize that Satan is not God. <laughs> he's a created being. He was a, He's a fallen angel. And with him, one-third of the angels went. Mm-hmm. And they're called demons now, right? And they have a job to do. Ephesians 6, written to Christians, where Paul talks all about it, where he warns us, put on the armor of God. They're going to come against us if we don't put up that protection. And you can look that up um 6, 10 through 18. The thing with that is, we just have to always be on the alert. Have, and that's what David says in the end of Psalm 139. Lord, see if there's any offensive way in me. Show me. Mm-hmm. I and mean, he that's like his daily prayer. And yeah. and God will show you. With my dad, you know, God didn't ask me to forgive him when I became a Christian or when I was 19, or he waited till he knew I was strong enough. Mm-hmm. And then he revealed that to me. You know, I was struggling with the guy that I worked with and I'm going, this is crazy. He is such a wonderful man. Why am I always getting angry at him and frustrated? He's like, everybody loves this guy, but I'm like, what is the matter with me? And, and I asked God, I said, why am I doing this? And, and he said, cause he reminds you of your father. Mm. And I'm like, well, I love my dad. <laughs> You love your dad, but you haven't forgiven your dad. What? And so God kind of walked me through that process. And I remember once he did, and I started writing out all the things that dad missed in my life because he left. So I wrote out pages, 10 pages of all that dad missed and what I was angry about. And by the end of it, I thought, I can't forgive him. But Lord, help me, because I know I'm called to forgive everybody you know Mm -hmm. and so give me the ability to do that I fell asleep I woke up the next morning I felt this incredible peace Mm -hmm. I just say peace you know and and it's like I just knew my spirit that I'd forgiven him that I released him to God that I just let God deal with the whole thing and I'm really glad I did because years later in his 80s (laughs) My dad gave his life and my stepmom to the Lord. And they're walking strong with the Lord. But I remember right after that happened, then I went home on furlough from the mission field. And I I saw my dad and immediately I just hugged him and I just held on for the longest time. And he pulls me back eventually. He loves to hug, you know, but he pulls me back and he says, Well, you haven't hugged me like that since you were about 10 years old. Wow. Isn't that cool? And that was like around the year later, God really did the work. So just Mm -hmm. let God work. And if you can't, just say, I'm willing if you help me here. Just help me to do this.
1: That submission, that humbling, that's what we have. Our obedience to his commands, that's what we have. But that puts God in control to do God things. And we get to sit back and enjoy the peace and the joy, not that your life becomes all peace and all joy every day, because there's still things to challenge you. There's still painful, even situations that you have to go through, but God will get you through them because he's in control.
0: And you'll be more aware that he's there, that he's present. That's what changes, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. When I was thinking about you were listing off some things that you asked the women to uh, highlight or mark if they it made a connection with some of the things that they believed about themselves. Is being codependent part of that? Is it more about the way God created us as nurturers or more about low self esteem?
0: Many reasons for codependency, but we're to be interdependent with people but not codependent. The difference is, where's my identity coming from? With a codependent relationship, I'm drawing my identity of self-love and worth and value from somebody else. And that's very dangerous, number one, because that can change in a moment and you'll be devastated. But also because we're really to get our identity from Christ, from who he is. And um, I love as I'm watching my daughter in her relationship with her boyfriend, who she'll probably marry. And she's it's really cool. She's actually able to recognize when she's moving towards that codependency because she'll be like, Mom, I just talked to Jack and I told him, you know, I, I don't want to get codependent on you, you know, because God is my dependency. But you're important to me, you know, and I love you. but." I don't want to get to a place where it's like, I need to have you. You know, it was like, I hope I'm not being too personal with you, but I would guess, Sherry, like, you know, God really has pulled you through the loss of your husband. But if your relationship had been too codependent or have been codependent, not just interdependent, you would have been devastated beyond repair, right? But although God could have intervened, I realize he can definitely intervene at any point and he could have brought you to where you are today. But I'm guessing that you had it in a healthier place so that when you lost him, it was absolutely devastating. But you could be pulled out of that and still find joy again. Right. Whereas if he was like your whole world or just so number one in your life and who you were. That's the difference codependent, not just their whole world, but who you are is so intertwined with that other person that you don't even know who you are mm. without them. Yeah, that's when it's so irreparable. I won't say irreparable because God can do miracles, but very difficult.
1: It was very obvious to me if God had not been the rock that I stand on when. The role that I did identify with as wife, it was part of who I was. It was my future. It was Had that been my only definition, a wife, and it was gone, I don't know what would have happened to me. But you're right, because God was the rock where I have uh, roles. I have responsibilities. I have titles, but they can change in the blink of an eye and be gone. So that's a very valid point that you make.
0: The reason you ask why do we fall into codependency, that can come from any of those lies. Anything that we believe about ourselves that's not true, it's really from the enemy. You know, I have no value. I'm worthless. I'm not safe. I'm invisible. I'm disgusting. I'm unforgivable. I am a failure. I'm not good enough. I'm rejectable, I'm ugly, I'm unlovable, any of those things, and there's many more, that when any of those I believe, and somebody comes along, and they're telling me the opposite of whatever that is, they're telling me, wow, you're so important to me, I I just, I, you know, finally, I feel like it's worth living, because I know you're there, okay, boom, that's just, grabbing to that person who's longing to be important and have value to someone, they're going to be drawn into that codependent relationship. So that's the whole another talk we talk about in our conference, is knowing that God has given us longings in life, right? A longing to belong, be important, to be loved, to be valued, etc. And When we run outside of God to a person or to like a title or some kind of educational pursuit, when we run to something outside of God or even our children to fill that longing. Well, one, that's idolatry, right? Mm -hmm. Running to that Mm -hmm. instead of God. But also it's very dangerous because those things change all the time. You know, so you get all this value from your child when they're young, right? The kid thinks you're his everything. And then he becomes a a preteen or a teenager and suddenly you're nothing. And what happens to the mom? She just spirals down and crashes. Or she turns to the next kid and just demands that from the next kid. And the kid's like, no, I'm not like that. You know, leave me alone. And they start having problems.
1: Yeah. There's an example. Perfect example, too. So you're right. When we turn our focus and our, exclusivity, because we were made for relationship, we were made to, as wives, we're helpmates. And so we can run that risk of gravitating or even grafting ourselves onto somebody or our spouse. Yeah. And then there is where the problem is at, that, that we're no longer focused on God to help us meet all right. the roles and demands of our life, uh, but rather right. our husbands. So I think that's a really fine line to walk. Because they're not
0: when it's like you're utterly dependent on that person. That's the problem. I, see. I, I really found my marriage got so much better <laughs> when I learned to look to Christ to be the lover and the satisfier of my soul. When I dug into Isaiah 40 to 66 for three years I just kept meditating and reading on those and then I went to Song of Songs and and I developed more of an intimacy with God it like I took all the pressure off my husband who at the time was a crisis manager you know poor guy come home exhausted and and he had nothing left to give to me and my little kids just when you wanted to take over, you know, or just pay attention to you, or have adult conversation, and so I, I was really feeling angry, you know, and rejected. And then the Lord just was so kind to to woo me into this intimate relationship with Him. And when He did, something's like, husband would come home and he wouldn't talk, and I'd be fine with that. I just would make his favorite dinner or his favorite dessert. And he'd sit down, and if he wanted to talk, he'd talk he talked to him. And what happened is he started to want to engage more because he didn't feel that pressure that he had to meet my needs, too. Right. And also, he became a little jealous of the Lord because sure. he's like, wow, I want to be that close to God. So he started spending more time with God himself at the office. So, yeah. Hey, a
1: win win. <laughs> it was. I love how you pull out the fact that when we engage God as the direct source for the things that we need, everybody else in our life gets the overflow of God's yes. goodness and his peace and the, and the roles we are supposed to fulfill. So that's definitely a win-win. Well, I am having a wonderful conversation digging around in identity and the, the powerful ministry that you have for leading women into freedom in Christ, but we're running out of time. So I've got a few more questions if I can try and sure. Go for it. make it a little tight. One of them is I'm not looking for marital advice because I'm not trying to put you on the spot or res- make you responsible for that. But do you have any insight for a woman who finds herself in an abusive uh, environment? How can she build her identity?
0: We have to also qualify, like the intensity of the abuse. Okay, because if it's um, pretty severe, I I would not be opposed to recommending separation. Okay, and when you can get away and you can go get healing, you can get whatever yeah. organization or church or counselor. Will really help rebuild you. And sometimes that's helpful. Or you can do that even when you're still in the marriage. Or with the person. If it's not too destructive. Right? That's what I'm saying. But in that. When you begin to get that help. I definitely think you need outside help in that. Outside counseling and healing. Just Make sure it's someone that's really helping you to um, bring you back into who you really are, like the beauty of who you are, right? They're not just like having you come and retell all the horrible abuse and agreeing with you and, oh yeah, he's horrible. Don't focus on him, focus on who you and God are, right? And, And finding that beautiful truth about yourself because that's been torn to shreds and God wants to rebuild that. And he also wants to build in you how he is the perfect husband, the perfect. Like, that's really cool. Sometimes, like, oh, I don't think of God as a husband. My husband's horrible. What about the perfect husband, the dream husband? That's God, right? Or if it's just better, the father, you know, if that works for you better. But you're your wonderful, protective, intimate father. Some people connect better with Jesus, some better with the father. So, Get strong in that. Then when you come back and that person says to you, you can't even cook. You're such a failure. And and then you'll say, you know, I, I know you say that, but actually what God says is, and you can quote what you're learning about yourself from God, and, and then you can turn it back to them. And honey, if you understood that about yourself, because I really don't think you you believe that either. Then you would know that you also are good enough and you're, you are a wonderful guy and you can begin to speak that into his life at first, you know, like that. Mm -hmm. Um, you also can learn from a counselor how to put up boundaries just to come back and say, you know, honey, I know that's not true of me. I've been learning from God, from my counselor that I am a wonderful, fearfully, wonderfully made, beautiful woman and. I'm not gonna keep tolerating you calling me these things. And so every time you start, you just know I'm gonna walk away. So I won't be here. I will go leave the room or I won't bother to cook your dinner. So you make that choice. You get more strength to do that. Now if he's horribly abusive, that's why I said separation, because I mean that alone could get you smacked, you know, and get hurt. So mm. it depends on the intensity. So I would say. Get some outside counsel Mm -hmm. in that. But just make sure that the counsel you're getting, an organization or an individual who really can help you see the beauty of who you are in Christ.
1: I'd like to reverberate that in the sense that you find a counselor who is a good match for what you need, what you're looking for, and their style. Don't give up if you get to the first one, two, maybe even three counselors, and you do not connect with them, and they do not bring any sort of resolution, solution, tools, resources, equipment, but along with seeking professional help, guidance, do you have any tools on your website that would help a woman with codependency, help a woman to build her identity in an abusive environment?
0: Yeah, well, I do have a podcast myself called His Heartbeat, (laughs) and we're getting into this a lot with who really will speak into these different topics, you can tell from the titles. I think that would be good. I'm not going to claim that you can go online. I will say this. I will say this. And I mean this sincerely. So I have a 12-week Bible study called Crown of Beauty, 12-week Bible study. I have it eight languages. I use it all over the world. Every time people go through this, no matter what country I'm in, they see such huge transformation and healing in their heart because it's not your typical Bible study. it doesn't just say you're fearfully and wonderfully made and it doesn't just explain it the way I did that's chapter one but it then asks you the hard questions have do you see yourself this way? How long haven't you? can you think of why you don't what do you actually think about yourself Now let's look at what God has to say about you. Now let's claim this in prayer, okay? And doing that with another sister, two or three or four or five or six is so helpful. And then you begin to pray together. And so in this book, by the end of it, absolutely you identify the lies, not only about yourself, but even lies that we believe about God. When we are under stress, we begin to question God. Like, are you really there for me? Do you even care about me? Can you never forgive me? Do you love me? Why would you do that to me? So we look at that as well. And we get, we begin to replace those lies with the truth. We learn about spiritual warfare, praying, how to do that. We learn a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and this wonderful spirit of comfort that is there for you. So by the time you get through that, I guarantee you will have a different identity about yourself. And that's on Amazon, Crown of Beauty. It's what we name our ministry after, crown of beauty Or you can go on our website and our whole, all our devotions, everything. They're all about that. But I'm not going to claim if somebody's in the middle of an abusive relationship, I would say no, go find um, some outside sources that can really help with that.
1: Thank you for letting us know about those resources because we're going to put all the links in the show notes. So if anybody's interested in those, we will have those links available right at your fingertip in the show notes. So I want to ask you before we close, is there anything that I have not asked you about that you want to share before we part?
0: Yeah, I kind of do, Sherry, because I don't want to dismiss this. Something I've been learning a lot about lately, the brain. Yeah. Is it's such a beautiful thing. The more I learn about the human body and how God created us, and you know, you hear it more and more on different podcasts and whatnot, but how we build, you know, I have an experience and then I get a negative message. I keep saying it over and over. So we're building a neuron, right? That's releasing hormones that are very negative, that are very hurtful to us. And so What I love is in Romans 12, 2, where it says, renew your mind, and he's talking about in the word of God, and you'll be transformed like a butterfly, right? You'll be 100% changed. As you renew your mind in the truth, as you begin to, when you have that trigger, right? When that that kid is spazzing out at home and you just want to slap him or scream or whatever you do, that neuron is going to that hormone that's going to be released. It's going to cause that rage, for example. What we want to do is immediately say, find that scripture. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you that scripture. It might be about peace. Okay, it might be about gentleness. Let the gentleness of the Lord be near, right? Something like that. Or the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. Well, you know, one of those kinds then immediately start to quote that and you're building a new neural pathway that's going through these positive hormones. And so instead of slapping this kid or screaming at him or having rage, you're beginning to create a new pathway and you're going to begin to respond in a different way. Well, why I wanted to bring that up, Sarah, is the more that we learn about how God made us we really see, wow, God, you are just wild and crazy. Talk about fearfully wonderfully made and what an incredible God, how complex our body is that He has even wired us physiologically for healing. You know, but it's so interwoven with what the scripture says. So we need the word of God, we need to take care of our bodies. We need self care. We need to rest. We need to exercise. We need to eat properly. We need to learn to think godly thoughts. Think the thoughts that the Holy Spirit tells you to think. Okay. It doesn't, it might not be a scripture. It might be this I love puppies, right? I love puppy dogs. So he might say, You're as lovely as that puppy dog. And that might be my phrase, right? But it's from God. You know, and he's going to use that and build that new neural pathway that can bring change, behavioral change into my life and can bring healing.
1: Uh, Have you read Dr. Caroline Leaf? I love her. Yeah. She she used to give a strong correlation between the Bible and science and how it all worked together. And then it seemed that she got a little more generic, but still proving that science worked. And yet we know in Scripture how that supports it. I haven't listened to her in quite some time. She may be back to a strong message of the biblical value and the value of science. But I too have gotten into this interest and it must be, is the Lord opening up and awakening this area? Because like you said, there's a lot of people coming along who understand that God has created us mind, body, soul, spirit, and it all is meshed together. And yet you need to look at these individual places when you're talking about trauma and grief Mm -hmm. and, and things like that. So what an exciting time if God's opening up this understanding for us in this time of history, where we get to look at him even more deeper and discover him yet in a new way. And Mm -hmm. I get excited about things like that. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that particular topic to the surface, because maybe some other uh, listeners are going to say, let me get into this whole, how is my brain working against me and how can I make it work for me? Rewriting those pathways and those neurons, powerful stuff, powerful stuff. If our listeners remember only one thing about everything we've talked about, one thing, what is the one thing that you want them to take away today? Uh, Johnny,
0: 32. 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That's where your freedom comes, is walking in the truth of who you are. So learn what that is. Learn all all the beautiful truths that God says and meditate on them day and night. Write them on your mirror, write them everywhere. Have them all around. I mean, I have this little card that says you make a difference. And it just helps me some days when you feel like nobody knows what I'm doing and all the hours I'm spending. And God says, hey, Sue, you make a difference. So, yeah, put them all around because it's the truth. Walking in that, walking away from all those horrible lies is what brings freedom and joy into our life. God can use you guys and gals. Like, God, if, if you <laughs> surrender your life to him, give it all. Give it all. You'll never, 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 never regret it because he will do in things in you and through you, by you, in ways you never would have expected. I never would have expected I'd be in Lebanon this week and Fiji a few weeks later and Uganda a few weeks after that. You know, that's just God and that lives are being changed. So he can heal you. Our theme verses is Isaiah 61 and 3. That's why our crown of beauty, right? He's going to take, put that crown of beauty on you instead of those ashes. For me, it was that stuff out and all those lies that came. And he just took that away, put that crown of beauty. And now I'm taking that crown all over the world, and putting it on other women's heads. So don't underestimate how God can use your life if you fully, fully surrender to him and walk in obedience and for his ways, not your
1: If we engage his heart, especially in the painful places of life, we do get to experience an extraordinary life in the context of pain and suffering because he redeems all of it. Uh, This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Sue, so much for your time, your energy, your willingness. I appreciate you. And I know my listeners will, too.
0: Thank you, Sherry. I loved it. So fun.